How's everybody doing? Man, I, I'm the lucky guy that gets to get up here and follow that worship set. That was good. Can we give it up for our worship team? Wasn't that a great time? Man, it's so much better when God steps in. I, I just want to come up here and dismiss the service. You guys good with that? We've already had church. It's okay. Yeah, no, amen. Let's go. Lunch early. Let's go. Um, but no, uh, I'm going to preach. So, but you know, um, we're going to continue our, our sermon series today. We're going to stay on chapter one of the gospel of Mark, and I'm going to jump right into it. Um, we know this gospel to be a short gospel. I told you that it, I've been telling you it's one of my favorite gospels because it goes straight to the point. You know, we, we've been three weeks on this and we're still on chapter one of this book. A lot of things have already taken place in only 14 verses that we've all, already been able to review um, simply because Mark is giving us this information overload. I think of the gospel of, of Mark as today's gospel. You know why? Because we want everything now. We want the information right away. We're constantly looking for what's next and what we need to know and what we need to get to, right? So Mark does just that. He gives us information overload right to our faces right away, and we get the opportunity to kind of dive into it. Of course, I'm going to be breaking it down and looking into the different stories with you, and it's going to be a great time. The, we, we so far have looked at the boldness and the impact of a willing heart in John the Baptist as he goes into the jungle and preaches this gospel. People are going into the woods, something that we would never be able to do around here anymore, but people are just poised to hear a little bit more about this Savior who was coming. We also learned to look last week at the fact that it doesn't matter what it looks like. We see God declaring his love for Jesus even before Jesus did anything to prove that, okay? We see that God said, this is my beloved, okay? But Jesus hadn't, made, hadn't accomplished a miracle or any of that yet, okay? So now today, we're going to talk about what happens next. And I want to take you to Mark chapter 1, verse 14 to 15. I have the scripture on the screens, and you can follow me along if you have your Bibles with you. Um, it says, later on, after John was arrested, poor guy, man, John, really. The guy is out there eating God knows what, you know, dressed up like whatever, and then ends up arrested. This guy... I can't wait to have a conversation with him when we get to heaven, you know, like, you know, anyways. Um, so Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Amen. This sounds like the preacher at the stoplight, doesn't it? You see it. In general, we see something very unique in the scripture because it starts talking about this kingdom of God that is coming. We see Jesus step into the scene, proclaiming the good news of Jesus or the good news of the gospel, but somehow he's squeezing in this concept of the kingdom of God approaching, okay? God's kingdom refers to his divine and complete power and authority as well as his purpose and way of life here on earth and into eternity. We like to look at the kingdom of God as something that is divided, something that only happens up there while nothing happens up here. What Jesus is doing here is he's given us a different perspective into that kingdom to say, wait a second, it's going to be different. Something is coming that you never experienced before. It's going to be unique. When Christ arrived, it brought both the message of the kingdom and the evidence of that kingdom near the people. Amen? 
He's coming, fulfilled, and completed many purposes of God's kingdom on earth. In fact, when you hear the message of Jesus preached throughout the Gospels, his main theme is the kingdom of God here on earth. We read Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So while we like to say that the people were expecting this massive ruler, this amazing leader in Jesus, we miss that the most powerful thing that could have taken place was actually happening right before their very eyes. And they missed it because they misperceived it. Why is the message of the kingdom so important? I'm glad you asked. We must understand that the kingdom of God carries the idea of God coming into the world to reveal and display his power, glory, and authority over all other powers. That includes the power of Satan in this sinful world. It wasn't just a promise of something that was going to happen in the future. It was an active kingdom that was coming in all its power to take authority over all other powers that may be existing at the time. So while people are waiting for a different type of power, the biggest source of our power was beginning to be displayed and developed right before their very own eyes. In fact, a lot of us believe in a powerless gospel today where there is no existing power, where there is no display of evidence that we can attain at this moment because Jesus resurrected. He leaves us the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. The promise of the book of Joel is fulfilled. It's done. It's over with. Now we just have church expecting Jesus to return one day completely missing the ability to gain access to a kin kingdom that's here. Man, it's going to get hot in here. I'm getting hot already. You know, and, and, and we like to say that, that, that God's kingdom is just about spiritual salvation and the work of the church. And yeah, yeah, that, that stuff is all important. It's all important. But it also includes God expressing himself powerfully in all he does in the world and in the lives of individual people like you and me. It involves his revelation of his ideal purpose and way of life for both the present world we currently live in and the eternity that we're going to end up in. Jesus wasn't preparing the people for a power they would only experience after they died. He was saying, turn around, look, it's coming, it's right around the corner, there's a new kingdom in town. Things are about to change around here. In its simplest terms, the kingdom is a statement and display of God's power in action. And you're like, what are you talking about, man? And that's exactly the problem. We, we believe in a, in a gospel that, that has no power. We walk around trying to justify this gospel and defending it more than embracing it. 
when, when I get up here and I say we invite you in, we are willing hearts because I believe that there's an active power that's pressing now that could change your life because it's changed mine. I, I've talked to you con countlessly about objective truth. The only truth that's objective to me that no one can take away from me is the living, changing power of God in my life. It's how God changed me, transformed me. It's when others witness and say, you, did, you don't look like you used to look. Something happened. And I say it's because the supernatural power of God transformed me, changed me, and is continually working in my life to do something amazing and continue his purpose. Amen? This was not only a message, but it was also evident. Why? Because it would take place now, not later. John 14, 23 says, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Each of who? That's you. Man, but it's so, it's, it's like a fairy tale. We're like, is God really here? Is there a supernatural power in here? In the school, come on, man. He came to the gym of Waxhaw Elementary on Sunday morning. Yes. Yes. That's amazing. It's not meant to make sense, guys. In other words, he is involved in the world he created and comes into it with all power. To affect it in a way possible through his people. Don't tell me there isn't a tangible power in this faith. There is a tangible power. There is access to a supernatural God. It's loud, it's evident, and it's here. If you haven't experienced it, you can't experience it. You just need to allow God and have faith in him so that he would operate in your life in this way. I've personally experienced it. You could give me all the arguments you want about scripture. You could give me all the arguments you want about different denominations and different faith. What I know is that my God is real, he's powerful, and he's capable of doing amazing things in our lives. Amen? It's loud, it's evident, it's here. Isaiah 64, 1, all that you would burst from the heavens and come down, how the mountains will quake in your presence. Mark 9, 1, Jesus went on to say, I tell you the truth, some standing here now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. 1 Corinthians 4, 20, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. I'm not making this up. I'm not just excited and loud. I'm loud, but, and excited, but that's, that's not the point. Yeah, we water down this power. We do. We do. Directly, indirectly. We water down this power and view it in a material and political terms only. But God is not looking to prove his might, power, and authority to rule through a show of earthly things. It's not about wealth or military strength, friends. God uses his power to bring about spiritual change. And that spiritual change happens in people. We have it backwards. We think 
that spiritual change is a watered-down gospel. While at the same time, we use the wealth and this all sort of earthly dominance to prove the tangible power version of God. Life, if I tell you, God changed my life. He transformed me. I don't think the way I do. My relationship with my spouse is the best it's ever been because now we run through God. Everything happens there. He has powerfully stepped into my life. You're like, that's good for you. But if I tell you, look at my house, look at what God blessed me with, you're like, man, isn't God powerful and good? We've watered it down. We have it backwards. We believe that the tangible power of God is only expressed through material things. I don't believe when Jesus says the kingdom is near, it means that you're going to have a bigger house. Not that the bigger house is a big deal, okay? You were in Waxhaw. Everybody has a big house around here. <laughs> Maybe you don't. And I, you know, listen. God's power doesn't operate in our world to exercise his control and force his standards upon the world through an earthly system of government. It's not a matter of social or political control over the kingdoms of this world. John 18, 36 clarifies. Jesus said, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would actually fight for me not to die. But my kingdom is not of this world. It's not God's goal at this time to save the world and reform the world through social and political campaigns or even through violence. The kingdom of God does not rely on a political candidate or a party to survive and stay relevant. The Bible calls us to pray for our leaders, okay? But our hope of our faith does not rely on them. Can we agree here? You never hear Paul walking around Rome saying, you know, if we had a Christian emperor, this place would be great. No. He knew the job of the church and what the purpose of that was. We pray for our leadership that everything is okay. But our job remains the same. It's not bound by a leaning on one side or the other. You never hear people in the Bible lobbying for political candidates. They pray for them. Amen? Now, it is the power of God displayed through people of faith that will bring about true spiritual transformation and change in this world. You want to look around and say, what is the solution to the problems that we see? It's you. It's this gospel of Jesus expressed in power through God for the people that are witnessing it. When the Bible says God's kingdom is at hand, it means that everyone is faced with the decision. Either to submit to that rule or continue rebelling against him. Mark 15 paints it clear. It is pretty straightforward and to the point. Repent and believe in the gospel. Amen? 
Listen, we know that a true decision of repentance involves a change in our attitude towards God, confessing our sins, turning away from our old ways, submitting to God and following his purpose rather than our own. But the problem is with our faith toward God isn't lacking love, guys. It isn't that God loves you less. We learned that last week. God doesn't love you less. You may have love for God, but there is a concept about this faith that requires you to submit. I've always learned that people don't fall out of love for God. They fall out of repentance. When people leave the church, they don't leave the church because they love God less. They leave the church because something doesn't add up. You're falling out of repentance. You're falling out of submission. It isn't whether I love God or whether God loves me. Okay? People don't fall out of love. They reject It's simple idea of wanting God who saves us, but wanting to reject the Lord who rules. Our faith is not a democracy. You're not in a democracy. We don't get to vote for another God next next year. It It doesn't work that way. This is a kingdom. We're servants of that kingdom. Grateful and thankful. Filled with gratitude. That anything else that God does for us is is icing on the cake in our lives. Amen? Because the death on the cross and the resurrection is more than enough. Amen? We can't want the kingdom and take advantage of its benefits while at the same time reject its king. We can't want the blessings. We can't want the things that come about with the kingdom and the peace and the joy and all the different things while at the same time deciding to reject the king himself. It's rebellion within. The kingdom will change your life because as we begin to have faith in it, we will begin to see God's power display in us not only in hope or faith, but with actual supernatural powerful evidence. You know why we don't pray for the supernatural? Because we don't believe in it. We are the biggest obstacle to the moving power of God in our lives. We don't control it. I get that. But we don't pray because we don't know if God's going to do it. And is he really going to show up? Is he listening to me? I mean, I'm sitting here in the closet of my house. Doesn't he have more important things to do? The evidence that a person is truly experiencing God's power and God's kingdom is the fact that his or her life is characterized by things that we love to have, goodness, peace, joy. They're all things we want, but when God is actively operating in your life in all areas, okay? You're like, but I'm a sinful individual. I know. God knows, okay? He saw you. Newsflash. You're like, oh, Moises, you made this up. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but a li- of living a life of goodness, peace, joy in who? Man. Oh, man. We're diving into it. The New Testament has so much to say about the role of God's people in the kingdom. It's amazing to me that I wrote this sermon last week. And we're in here experiencing God's power in our worship service. Coincidence? Maybe not, because I don't believe in that. Okay? 
I believe that God is all over it, way ahead of us. Amen? And the most tangible part of our faith and the most objective eye account of God's involvement in our lives is done through the Holy Spirit of God. He is the one that's going to move us. He's the one that, you know, everything else in Scripture is subjective. And I'm getting into deep waters. This may be a topic that we should talk about Friday nights. But we're reading a Scripture that was written. Everything is subjective, okay? We believe in it. It's true. It's 100% true. We believe in it. But what is tangible for you, what was left over for you, was the Holy Spirit of God. That was the promise. Until his return, the Holy Spirit of God is the one that dwells amongst us. It's the one that we have the personal relationship with. It's how we experience the power of God. It is our objective truth today. If I lead with anything when I'm talking to an unbeliever, what is it about your faith that is different that it changed my life? You can't explain faith to someone that doesn't believe in the Bible. I can't tell someone that doesn't believe in the book. The book says, however, I could tell them I used to be this way. I used to suffer from this. I used to struggle for this. And when I met God, I was changed, transformed, completely turned upside down. Jesus comes into the picture and says, hey, turn around, man. It's coming. This is going to be different. There's a kingdom coming, guys. Repent. Turn from your ways. Watch what happens. Amen? Oh, I'm so glad for that. Thank you, Jesus. You know, we, we, Jesus' words were full of truth that were not fully understood by people at the time. You may be sitting here, not at the time. I don't understand them. I, I still don't understand what you're talking about. People couldn't comprehend the nearness of the kingdom. So if you sit here and think to yourself, what does this have to, there's no way this involves me in any way. You may be struggling with the same thing, but you see Jesus, the son of God, brought the kingdom of God to earth. He, the eternal word, became flesh and made his dwelling among us, is what the Bible says. In order to make his dwelling within us, he had drawn near to save us, redeem us, and restore us. That is the good news of the gospel that we believe in. Amen? The Bible, friends, the Bible is not a book of broken women and and men crawling to God to find them. Mm -mm. No, no. Instead, it is a book written of a God reaching down to the lowest points of humanity. Amen? To save us from our own despair. We think we're just broken people trying to find God. No, no, no. God found you. He he found you. He rescued you. You didn't find God? Where are you at? Ah, there you are. Peekaboo. No. I didn't write that on here. I should have probably stayed away from that one. You may not know this, but there is no better offer that you could ever have in your life. Everything lives and dies in this moment. Not every decision in life is going to make sense, but it's one that will make. But this one, if you, if, you, if you give it time and you actually take it all in, it will make a lot of sense for your life in the long run. Have you ever known someone that was persuaded to, to, to do something else in life by another offer? 
You've seen it in, in life, right? It happens a lot of times in sports, for instance. It happens a lot. Free agents get offered more money to go to the other teams, better opportunity, and, and, and then more money, the chance to play with the championship, and boom, that player leaves. There's people burning jerseys. It gets crazy, you know? LeBron took his talents to South Beach, right? Like, that was a hurtful moment for me, you know? I didn't like that. You know, if you're a wrestling fan, you remember Hulk Hogan back in the WWE, or now it was WWF back in the day. The WCW spent like a decade trying to get him to switch sides, and he finally did it. Not only that, but then he goes bad on us. I mean, I think I cried at home when I saw that <laughs> as a kid. Hey, it was my show, okay? I was into it, okay? It happens. You know, I was at home like, <laughs> why, why is he, where's the blonde, the yellow, the red? Like, I was a huge wrestling fan. If you want to talk about it after the service, I'd love to talk to you about it. I watch it now, and I'm like, I can't believe you used to like this. What's wrong with you? <laughs> you had like the, Boston, the, the Boston Red Sox general manager, right, when he switched and resigned and became president of, of baseball operations for the Chicago Cubs. That was a big deal. Um, and, and all these things happen, and, that, and it doesn't only happen in the corporate structure, but it also happens in the church. I use my personal example as a, as a, as a reason. I, I remember resigning from my job to come into full-time ministry in 2020. And literally the people across the table begin to lure me into staying. I feel so bad because one of the partners of the business, we started a prayer uh, meeting at, at lunch on Monday, on, on Monday during lunch. And we would send this, this very nonchalant email to everybody. We're going to be in the conference room praying for an hour. Step in if you want to pray with us or not. And sometimes it was just me and him there just praying, okay? Sometimes employees would walk in. Other managers would walk in. And we would pray together, okay? Just because I worked at a job doesn't mean I wasn't a Christian, okay? I still brought my faith into my job. That's another sermon for another day, okay? But... We would do this prayer circles, but this guy happened to be the partner that now feels called by God to lure me away from my lifelong calling. He sits across from me and says, Moises, I hate to do this. I can't believe. I was praying about it last night. He said, I can't believe God is making me do this. But I feel like I'm the person called to lay this before you. And I said, okay. I know what the answer is going to be pretty much so at this point. But, yeah, go ahead. And he gives me this three-tier scenario and just tries to lure me into not going into full-time ministry. One of the options was stay here, don't do full-time ministry at all. The other option was go part-time and do this. The other option was stay as a consultant and do this and do that. And all of them had, had like these bonuses and different things, and it was really tempting for me. I had Gohan, when I made the decision of going full-time into ministry, we looked at the spreadsheet, we made the adjustments, we hunkered down, we said, it's going down, you know what I'm saying? Because nobody goes into full-time ministry to, get, to make money, amen? If you don't know that, okay? Not complaining, I love it. <clears throat> now, it, it happens more than we think. We see Jesus not only talk about a kingdom but that would be powerful, but it, was just, it wasn't just a kingdom that he was going to run by himself. He goes on to describe how he's going to bring people into this kingdom. There's going to be eyewitnesses of this thing. I mean, our faith has over 500 eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Did you know that? There were people that actually witnessed Jesus alive after he died. 
over 500 counts. If you want proof, there is a living God who died for you and rose again. And there was actual people that saw that. Mark chapter 1, verse 16 to 20, this is how powerful this was. It says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Man, that sounds weird. You know, I would have been like, man, I don't have any cash on me. Keep going, bro. We're going to keep fishing here. Um, and they left their nets at once and followed him. Okay? A little fur uh, further up the shore, Jesus saw 70 sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him. They left their dad. They just left them. Man, imagine that. Bash did that to me. I would be heartbroken. He's 18, 19. Some dude comes up and says, come follow me. And then he's like, bye, dad. You know, and I never, yeah, that. Anyways. While he was proclaiming the good news, he comes up on these two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew and James and John. And in both cases, these men were lured away from their previous jobs and former lives for a better offer to follow Jesus and become fishers of people. I can tell you personally that there is not a greater feeling than to seek God and follow him fully in the call that you have over your life. It is the most fulfilling thing you could ever hope for. People that are in ministry that get to exercise that every once in a while, those people that are in full-time, doing what God has called them to do full-time, part-time, whatever, you know that when you're doing the work of the Lord, it feels like the most fulfilling thing you've ever done in your life. Okay? There's a spiritual concept to this. I've lost relationships on this pursuit, opportunities, jobs, financial benefit. But in every decision, I gain more life and more purpose. And the icing on the cake is that I'm blessed beyond my wildest dreams. That is the truth, okay, of having that relationship with God. The first and primary calling of anyone who would be a disciple of Jesus is to be with him, to follow him, and to know him personally. It's a priority like no other. The Bible says in Philippians 3.8, yes, everything else is worthless when it comes, when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. I mean, the term disciple refers to a disciplined learner, a follower. It's known in the business world and anywhere you look at that the best leaders are those who know how to follow. Because they're going to know how to treat the employees. They're going to know how to do it. They know how it works, okay? As a result of this relationship with Christ, we now know and learn to follow him and lead others in that same journey. 1 Corinthians 9.22 says, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. Wow. The problem, guys, is that if we're talking about all these things and at no point your heart kind of tries to jump out of your chest a little bit, that's the bigger problem. 
okay? I can't, I can't infuse you with that. I could sit here, get loud, run back and forth, throw water at you, you know, like, let's not do that. But, you know, but it must be our heart's desire to be this way with God. This type of commitment, it can't be made up because it won't last long. Why, why is the heart so important at this point? Because the Bible uses the term heart to describe your desires, hopes, interests, ambitions, dreams, affections. Practically, in other words, your heart represents the source of all your motivation. What you love to do, what you care about the most. Even today, we still use the word, I love you with all of my heart. Because it means that to us. The Bible says, as a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the person. It says way more about you than you think. It reveals, it determines why you say what you say, the things that you say, why you feel the way you do, why you act the way you act. It has an explanation behind the actions. It has an explanation behind the words, behind the sentiment. Your heart reveals you, who you truly are. And you want to know who knows your heart more than anyone? God. Your heart will reveal the real you. Amen? The Bible repeatedly says to serve the Lord, but it says with all of our hearts. It doesn't just say, hey, serve me. It says serve me with all of your heart. And we find it over and over and over in Scripture. Our hearts has to be on it, in it. Following God and serving Him or answering to that call has more to do with heart and passion than it does with duty. Because people rarely excel at tasks they don't enjoy doing or feel passionate about. If your heart is not in it, if you're not really feeling it, you're not going to do it for long. You're probably not going to do it well. Okay? And you're just not going to be in it. How can you know that your heart is in this thing with God? I put two quick things in here. Number one, enthusiasm. When you're doing what you love to do, no one has to motivate you or check up on you. You ever gotten into a little project at home and you're unstoppable? Okay? Almost obnoxious, right? Like, like someone get them back, they're gone, you know? You don't need rewards, applause, a payment because you love serving this way. It is just part of your life. It is what moves you. That's because your heart is in it. You're passionate about it. I tell a lot of people, I did ministry 15 years before I became full-time, okay? I was literally, my dad would say, what time are you coming home? And it wasn't because I was clubbing, okay? I would get home at 3 a.m. because I was with the young adults and we were doing this and we were doing that. And it was, it was a different time, I know. I was doing lock-ins and things that I would have to explain to you later. But my desire, my heart was for God and the ministry that he had called me to do. I never joined Bible seminary to get paid one day. I joined. I didn't even know that that opportunity existed. I mean, in the Hispanic district, that doesn't happen. That's a no-go. You don't join Bible seminary to hope that you have a job as a pastor one day. No, you just join to learn more about the scriptures, to prepare yourself for the ministry that you're actively involved in. 
I remember when they interviewed me, and I was two years into my Bible seminary program, and I had two more years left. The job tells me, when you're done with that program, are you going to leave us? And I'm like, no. How am I going to feed my family, bro? I'm not going to leave you. So you don't need, there's, it carries this level of excitement. The second thing is important because it carries effectiveness. When your heart is fully in what God wants you to do, you get good at it. Passion drives perfection. If you don't care about it, you are probably not going to be very good at it. Have you ever asked your teenager to clean up their room? They do it really nice, don't they? No, because they don't like it. They don't care about it. <laughs> don't take it out on them, okay? It's just part of life. We all did it. <laughs> you ask your kids to clean up, and they don't want to clean up, man. Whew. Anyways. One of the things that you hear people say is people say, I took a job that I hate in order to make a lot of money so that one day I could end up doing what I love to do. What a horrible mistake. <laughs> Personal note. Because the greatest thing in life are not things. Meaning goes far more and is way more important than the money we can make. The richest man in the world once said, a simple life in the fear of God is better than a rich life with a ton of headaches. Friends, you can have a lot to live on and still have nothing to live for. You can have the best scenario in life, the thing that you hope for the most, and still have nothing to live for and still be empty, lacking the most important thing of your life in pursuit of something that's not going to give you the return on that investment. You're not going to get it back. Invest in the things that are guaranteed. What's guaranteed is the kingdom of God. Following and serving Him. Instead, serve God a way that expresses your heart towards that call. Because when you are doing what you love to do, no one has to motivate you. People ask me, can you believe it's been a year since you guys lost this campus? And I say, no, because I'm having fun doing it. Man, now, don't get me wrong, the, the better offer wasn't fisher of men. Yes, that aspect is amazing and, and wonderful, but, used, but to be used by God and to proclaim his message and make disciples is a great honor and responsibility. But I want you to simplify it for a second. I want you to understand that the better offer isn't what you get to do in the kingdom once you're in it, once you answer the call. There's an added benefit, a bonus, a cherry on the top, a, a better offer. It's that we get to follow Jesus. You're like, no, that's too simple. Yeah, we get to follow Jesus. By responding to his offer, he gets us, and guess what? We get him. In other words, Christ is in us, with us, and for us. We get an eternal relationship with the God who loved us so much that he made the ultimate sacrifice for us. And you say, Moises, but I can never be the person God wants me to be. And I'll leave you with this. Let me give you a little King James translation here. 
Verse 17. Then Jesus said to them, follow me and I'll make you. It's not the, it's the New King James translation. There's a lot of yees and all this stuff. I, 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 but you get the point. Follow me and I'll make you. See, God isn't looking for an, an updated version of you. He's not looking for the full, completed version, the upgraded model of your life. He says, if you would just follow me, I will make you. That's a guaranteed. That's a promise. That's what we get to have access to. Something we can't generate for ourselves. Our living God is saying to these men, if you follow me, I will make you become the people that I want you to be. I will single-handedly turn you into the person I need you to be. You got to believe this when it comes to the dealings of your father. He is not looking for a completed version of you. He simply wants you. There is a kingdom that is here, that is powerful, and is ready to operate in that power through your life. Are you ready? Do you receive it? Are you saying, God, if I follow you, you'll make me into whoever you want me to be? Surrender to God and allow him to work both in power and in evidence. Amen? Bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much, Jesus, that you have given us the opportunity to access a portion of the goodness, of the amazing power that you have given us here on earth, God, through the Holy Spirit, God. You're so true, so powerful, God. And I just pray, Lord, that we don't lose sight of that. As believers in Christ, we want to know, God, when you're involved, when you're involved fully, God, and what you're operating on is good for our lives, let us have faith in those things to encourage our families, our surroundings, to impact the community around us. Allow us to trust you fully, God, to know that if we're willing to follow you, God, if we're willing to let you be Lord, if we're willing to surrender to you, you will turn us into the individuals that you have always wanted us to be. Help us, God. We're imperfect the sin around the room it, 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 we know but lord please 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 accept our forgiveness god and help us to walk into your will as individuals i thank you god for being so good and what you're doing i pray this in your name jesus amen